Good morning. Great to be with you and um, to be entrusted with this um, um, tremendous opportunity to open God's Word with you. Um, I am Chuck MacArthur, and um, I did get to be Dan and Derek and their family's pastor for a season of my life, and um, it was wonderful. They, um, God used them in my life as well. Um, I am one of your missionaries, so thank you for your support. Um, and it's meant so much as we, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment, but as we continue to do the work. But I've got to say that my, my greatest claim to fame is that I'm Josh's dad. Okay, so um, I am, this, the timing of this is fantastic that you guys are going this week, right? Tomorrow? Sunday. Sunday. Next Sunday. A week from now to go and be with um, the group there at um, 6-8 and the ministries there. God bless y'all. Um, I'm so thrilled with that opportunity. Real quick, I'm going to give you a mission update, and then we're going to deep dive into the message, okay? So um, um, 89,000 people are coming to faith every single day, 89,000. To take care of that kind of growth would require 27,000 new pastors of 100 people Every month, 95%, that's a lot, by the way, if you're not really mathematically inclined, 95% of the pastors outside of the, the church in the West have very little preparation for the ministry. And to rightly study God's Word, to understand it, and then be able to proclaim the clarity, gospel boldness, it requires some preparation. Most That vast majority will never make it to a Bible college because of lack of education, lack of finances, or other life responsibilities. So how do we help them get trained? I want to show you this, the next slide. Do you have the Evangelicals by Continent slide? All right, so if you look at the dark blue, that's 77%, okay? 77% of all of the evangelicals in the world are in the global south. That's the poorest portions of the, of, the, of the world. Amazing. The Spirit of God, hallelujah, is blowing through the poorest regions of the world and breathing life into people through unprepared and inadequate proclaimers of the gospel. Our God is that big that he can break through and breathe life into the hearts of the lost. And he's doing it. Um, but we are, we are so desirous that they, the church in all of those places not only be quickly growing, but they're healthy, that they're grounded in God's Word. In 2 Timothy 2.2, we read, "...the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses..." Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I have a faculty of 40 um, people that travel the, the, the globe and, 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 and teach. But our real focus is not just teaching pastors, but how do we train nationals who will then go into the villages and reach those who will never go into the big city to, to go to a school or something. So we, it's very much a model of, of 2 Timothy 2.2. So what, is, what does ELI do? We train those who train 
others very, very simply. We train those who train others. Our mission statement is we partner with highly influential yet under-resourced Christian leaders globally to equip and multiply biblically mature leaders for every area of community life. Ocean City Church has been helping us fund an initiative that is, has the same acrostic as your name, with the One Church Challenge. And 100% of the funds that you give go into this fund, and that's designated to take the people who we've trained and mobilize them out into the villages. Guys, that's awesome. Your dollars are, is multiplying the church into being a healthy church globally. Um, for the first half of 2021, over this fund helped over 200 training events take place. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Let me pray, and we're going to dive into Ephesians chapter 4. Father, we do thank you so much for your amazing grace in our lives. Lord, we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds. Lord, we thank you for the worship that captured us earlier. And, and now as we open your word, Lord, we invite you to speak to us where we need to be spoken to, to nourish our hearts and our minds that we might love you more. May it be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, and I would invite you to to turn in in your Bibles to that text. We're going to be sticking really close to the passage, so um, we're going to walk through it slowly. So rather than read the entire text, Um, We're going to read just a few verses at a time. By the time you get to be my age, um, you have um, some some, um, memory issues, so that's why we just go one chunk at a time, okay, and and stay close to the text. So um, about two years ago, I was um, reading through, meditating on Ephesians, and just kind of God just started taking me on this journey. This is the passage, by the way. Ephesians 4 is that passage that pastors typically would pull out of their arsenal and use when there starts to be murmuring in the church. and the, I'm sure that's never happened at OCC. But, but, but when people start kind of getting the feel that there's a lot of, you know, gossip going on or something. So they would use this text to preach unity. But it's also a passage that you use to, to talk about the importance of, of, of people being equipped to do what? The work of ministry. Okay? So those are the two big themes that come out of this text. And how I, I had often use this passage, and it's good for that. It's right. It's, it's not a, a wrong application. But there was something deeper here that I'd never seen before. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul writes, under inspiration of the Spirit to the believers in Ephesus, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So first off, we see right from the beginning, four, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner of the gospel. Paul is about to give the first exhortation in the whole letter. So the first three chapters of Ephesians, it's classic Paul writing. He's really just given them theology. Don't be scared of the word. He's just given them the gospel. He's just saying, you got to understand what God has done for you 
before we can talk about how we ought to live in light of it. The gospel, the good news of what he has already done for us is always necessary for us ever to be driven internally to do the right thing. So Paul writes, he says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. And I'm not sure why he throws that in, but it's almost like, look, if you're about to start giving me flap about life being hard or you're busy or whatever, don't even go there. I'm a prisoner, okay? I mean, he might not have had that attitude, but he might have. <laughs> I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, Christians in Ephesus, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Worthy. Um, H.B. Charles says, your conduct should match your calling. There should be an equitable response. One Filipino pastor I was listening said, we often have a 50-cent response to a million-dollar salvation. Ephesians 1 um, is that glorious passage about the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. So think about worthy. It's this idea of a scale, right? What, what has God done for me, and, and how am I living in response? Worthy. It should be equitable, Let's think about it. Ephesians 1. He chose me when I was dead and stinky. He justified me. He declared me righteous. And we really are, all of you who are in Christ. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your guilt, your shame, your addictions. He sees the blood of Christ covering you, the righteousness of Christ. He has declared you righteous in his sight. He's adopted you, brought you into his family. You who were once far away, you who grew up in yucky families, you grew up in great families. He has brought you into his eternal family, and he will invite you to call him our father. He's done that for you. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. <laughs> For you, how much was that? How many times was that? How often is that? How many will it be today, right? Oh, my goodness. Forgiven as far as the east is from the west. He has cast our sin and remembers it no more. How much has God loved us, demonstrated his love for us? We're sealed by his Holy Spirit. I will never leave you. You are mine. You are in the palm of my hand. And you, because I've given you my spirit, I guarantee you, you'll be an heir of everything I've given my son. What has he done for you lately? <laughs> That's what he's done for you. Walk worthy. That's what Paul says under inspiration of the Spirit urge you to walk in a manner worthy 
of the calling by which you've been called. I'm going to read a few verses from Ephesians 2. All of us also, this is verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but... But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. This morning, if you're among those who God has already brought to faith in Christ, that's your story. You were dead. And at a particular point in time, whether you know what that time was or not, God himself breathed life into you and caused you from being dead in your sin, an object of wrath, to making you a very child of God. Amazing. And see, this is why we have to keep going back to the gospel. We'll never have the power to do the things he's calling us to do to walk worthy unless we remember how much he's already done for us. I think this is actually one of the reasons why Christ established the Lord's Supper, that we might never forget the central piece of his great sacrifice for us. So what worthy of your calling, which you've been called, how? With all humility, gentleness, and with patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what walking worthy looks like. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another, it's not easy, is it? The reason it's not easy is because people aren't like us and they don't do what we tell them to do. If they would just do it my way, right? It wouldn't be a problem. Bear with one another. If you can't find people like that in the church, where are you going to find them? And that's what the church is about. It's, it's not about somebody to look down on. It's about how do I come alongside of you and help carry your burden, bearing with one another. In the same way that, that Jesus bears with you and all the stuff you throw at him and I throw at him. In the same way, he bears patiently, gently with us. So he calls us to be that way with one another. Eager to maintain the unity. In um, Ephesians 2, it talks about Jesus being um, destroying the, the dividing wall between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And when, God, when Jesus broke that wall, it's the picture of there should be nothing separating the people of God. If he can do that between the Jews and the Gentiles, he can break down all the barriers that would separate us from one another. The dividing wall has come down. So with humility and gentleness and patience, we delight in all, in all people who are the followers of Jesus Christ. Even while we pray for those and cheer others on to 
taste Jesus, to pursue Jesus. If you seek me, right, he says, you will find me. Look, if you're here today and you're not, not there yet, we love, absolutely love that you're here, right? We absolutely, this is a good place for you. But you don't have to stay there. What you decide to, to do with Jesus is the most important thing you'll ever decide. Is he really the son of God? Is, what he, is his life and his death and his resurrection, do I really believe it's true? And when you do, if you do, whenever you do, come to faith. It will be because God breathed life into you. Maybe that'll happen for you even today. So just one body of Christ. Let's look at verse 4. So Paul continues his case. He says, there is one body. I want you to count these, right? How many ones are here? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Seven different times Paul's making the point. Look, he's telling the church, you're just one. We all have all these seven things in absolute common. Anyone, regardless of background, regardless of who you were, regardless of race, whatever, Everyone who is in Christ is one. Now, here's the change that happened to my understanding. It's not just the local church, OCC. It's not even just the church in North Florida. There's just one church Globally, there's just one fam one body of Christ. Are there multiple bodies of Christ? No, different expressions. But there's just one body of Christ, one spirit who dwells each person, every single person who is a follower of Christ. The spirit, the same spirit that lives in you, lives in them. One Lord, one Jesus, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So what is God saying to OCC? Walk worthy in a manner. Walk humbly, bearing with one another in love in order to maintain unity. What's he saying to us as we think about being a part of a, a larger church in North Florida that comes in all different labels and flies under all different flags? What's he saying to you? Every person who walks with Christ, who loves Jesus, who trusts the cross, right? Trusts the death and resurrection. Every single one. They're not your enemy. They're not your competition. You don't have to be afraid of that church down there. Are they preaching God's word? Hallelujah. That's your people. Now, this might be your local people. But that's your family. Christ has destroyed all those barriers, all those dividing walls. This is who we are. We are a global church. And as we think about and consider that reality of being global, we, 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 are, we are one church. From God's perspective, he doesn't see just a bunch of little churches. It's one, the one people of God. So why do we care about a, 
a church of 30 people in Booyah Town, Liberia. Why do we care that those people have a pastor who can open the Word of God accurately for them? Why do we care? Because it's our people. That's our family. That's the body of Christ. How important has it been for you in your spiritual journey to have good teachers in your life? Don't you want that for your brothers and sisters over there? Absolutely we do. Why do we care? Why do we care that um, in the DRC, um, there's a a group of of radical Muslims who um, are are coming out of the forest and, and killing believers? I was sent a horrible, just heartbreaking video this week that's being circulated by these, um, these um, terrorists um, to discourage Christians for standing up by the faith. About 20 young men. And the video showed them being killed and beheaded. I don't even want to think about what happened to their sisters and their mothers. Why do we care? Because that's our people. That's our people. Why do we, uh, why has through, through the epidemic, the, the pandemic, why, why do we, we care about these poor countries that have very little resources to fight back? And that there's so many people have died in India. We've lost about 50 pastors in India, just the ones we know. Why do we care about their families? Why do we send money to help during COVID relief? Because that's our people. We are one church. We are. But in reality, we don't always walk that way. We figure... If I can just keep up with my local church, I'll be doing good, right? So Christ has given us help to um, mature the beautiful, mature us into the likeness of Christ. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts. Jesus gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also had descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And here's the good part. He gave, Jesus gave, King Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? Why did he do that? To equip the saints for the working work of ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. How long is he going to continue to do this? Until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, there are a lot of other gifts than the ones that are just listed here, but these are basically all teaching gifts, proclaiming gifts, um, and we all benefit from those who have been gifted in that way. And this is what the church needs. We, we need good teachers. Those local churches in Africa, India, they need people who can rightly teach the Word of God so that people can be equipped to do the work of ministry until we all 
attain unity. Unity. Not unity at all costs, but unity in the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To the measure of mature manhood. And look how he describes it next. The fullness of Christ. So what is God's idea? What is God trying to do in his global church? He wants the church to look like himself. The fullness of Christ. Wouldn't it be cool if your reputation, and it may be on the beaches, oh, that church, OCC, man, that, you go visit that church, you feel like you're in the very presence of Christ because the love is thick over there. The gentleness is thick. The humility is thick. It's an awesome place to visit. What should be the reputation in, in, uh, in North Florida? That the churches are always looking for ways to work together because we're one to bring glory to God and let the, the, the community, let the city see that we're united. We love each other. And the global church. That the world would see the church united and caring for each other and loving the lost. So why is it critical that we not grow weary in growing into the glorious fullness of Christ? And, and we'll move in toward the end, folks. Thanks for hanging in there. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. For from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Why is it critical that we train others, we train this church? Why is it important that you get equipped it's so that we'll no longer be children, but we'll grow up into maturity. The things that are knocking you around spiritually, the things that are knocking me around today, that we wouldn't always be bearing those burdens, right? We can grow past them. We can grow past those addictions. We can grow past those things of a heart that struggles to love certain people. We can grow past that. Christ wants to fully redeem you and move you out of your immaturity. And part of that is thinking rightly about God and not being tossed here and there by every idea that comes your way. But speak the truth in love and grow up into Christ. Um, I love the scene in um, Saving Private Ryan. I'll assume since you're Americans, you've all seen it. Um, um, I, I had to um, my hearing starting to go, so I had to like turn the volume up three or four times. And that scene at the end when um, the Tom Hanks character is is dying, right? And he's he, he's bleeding. The whole um, his whole um, group of guys that saved Private Ryan um, have all been killed. And he pulls in Private Ryan close because he can hardly get the words out. And he says. Earn it. Earn it. 
Jesus doesn't say earn it. <laughs> we, hallelujah, we don't have to earn it. He would be insulted if we tried to earn it. But he does say, walk worthy, walk worthy, walk worthy. Love others like I loved you. Forgive others as I have forgiven you. Serve others as I have served you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus has, who has done everything necessary to not only save us, but to deliver us from our struggles. Oh God, pour yourself out upon the, your people today. And God, give the breath of life to those yet on the other side, that they might too grasp the glory of Christ and all the fullness thereof. In Jesus' name, amen.